Thank you for listening to the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On podcast. Nano Taggart here is your host. Today, we're speaking with actors Misty Cotton and Deanna Ott. Misty is playing the witch in Into the Woods, as well as small parts in Measure for Measure. She has performed on Broadway as Ellen in Miss Saigon, and off-Broadway as Missy in The Marvelous Wonderettes. Misty has also been on several national tours. Misty also played the part of a witch in Macbeth several years ago here at the Shakespeare Festival. Deanna is playing Little Red in Into the Woods and Sophia Gray and the ensemble in Sense and Sensibility. Festival patrons have seen her before in The Green Show as well as in Anything Goes as Chastity and in The Music Man as Zanita. Thank you so much, Missy and Deanna, for joining us. I know you both have busy schedules, you know, repertory theater and all that. Uh, I'm wondering if we could maybe start with Missy. And you've been all over. You've been on Broadway. You've done uh, tours, uh, Miss Saigon. What brings you back to the festival? Oh, I love the festival. This is actually the third time I've been here. I I um, have only done the fall seasons though, so this is oh, exciting because cool. summers, it's different. It it's is just different. different. There's so it's pretty amazing all the activities that they have going on for yeah. patrons and actors. It's really something else, and it's mm -hmm. been a great experience. But I come back. I I've said it before. I call this one of the best kept secrets. Mm -hmm in the country. Um, I think the area is beautiful. I think the company is amazing and the work that's done here is amazing. And I mean, I think anybody would be silly not to try and have an experience like this working with so many great actors and yeah, yeah. and also in, an, in a, um, a rep situation as well, mm -hmm. where, you know, sometimes you're doing something big in one show and sometimes not so much in, in the other one. It's just, it's great. Cool. A great ensemble feel. Right on. And uh, Deanna, you've been here, this is your third time? Yeah, this festival? is my third season cool. in the Can last you, four. You've probably been asked this before and like orientations and stuff like that, but mm -hmm. what was the initial rehearsal process like to become a cast member initially? I mean, you were, uh, I think you were, weren't you pretty fresh out of school? The audition process? The audition process, yeah. Yeah, it was actually, um, it was, I, I actually came straight from school. Cool. I skipped the last couple of weeks of my undergrad uh, and I came to the festival uh, because you could because you were because, such a good student because uh, because I persuaded them and twisted their arm and said Tony award-winning Utah Shakespeare Festival they all knew it anyway so cool. it was <laughs> it was it was fine uh, but it was um, I came straight from school. The previous yeah. season, I'd worked at PCPA, yeah. which is a theater company in California, mm -hmm. where um, there's like there's quite a bit of there seems to be kind of a conduit uh, between like a, here and there, mm -hmm, yeah. a little a lot of changeover between the two. And I'd uh, I'd met Brad Carroll there, awesome. and he had who at that time he was supposedly directing uh, the Music Man here for yeah. the next season, um, and so he encouraged me to. Put my name in. Cool. I auditioned in LA my first season, and um, and then I was surprised when I got the job. Awesome. It's pretty exciting. Right on. Cool. This is uh, your biggest role probably so far, right, for the Shakespeare Festival? Yes. Playing Little Red. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of research on the play itself, getting ready to interview you two and interviewing Jeremy Mann earlier, mm -hmm. sort of in the podcast series. And there is a tendency for people to shortchange the fairy tale characters and say that this is really a play about the baker and the baker's wife. What well, what would you say, each of you, to someone that thinks maybe some of these archetype characters, like the witch, like Little Red, don't have that much depth? I, I was actually lucky enough to see the original production on Broadway. That was oh, my first terrific. original like musical. The yeah. cast I should say original Broadway cast Broadway that cast, I've had yeah. seen. 
in a musical. And um, I remember seeing the show and thinking, oh, the baker and the baker's wife, those are the roles. Yeah. I mean, that in my mind. So I do remember having that feeling, but I never felt like anything was less than or shortchanged. Or, I mean, they're all so very vital. I mean, the baker and the baker's wife certainly have a certain storyline, and it is about them, you know. Yeah. Uh, their their huge thing that they're trying to get their yeah, want their that quest. they want yeah their quest so so I can see that and that's I mean isn't it that way in most storytelling there's some yeah, that absolutely. stand out but but I don't know I don't feel that at all I mean you know your I mean, characters I mean amazing and the witch has some great things to do and Cinderella yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. I love Cinderella I love that role I think mm -hmm. it's you know so great and so clever but um, I've never heard that before uh, I I personally uh, do I mean obviously I don't agree. Yeah, I yeah. think um, I mean going through this show as this character is so different from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, she's just this blank slate, listening to to whatever anyone tells her to do. Uh -huh. She does it, um, whether it's good advice or bad advice. Yeah. Um, she'll do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then as the play goes along, things start going horribly wrong, and she realizes that other people don't have the answers. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and in Act 2, I think we definitely see that with every single character. Everyone's starting to realize that no one really has the right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. Everything is blurry. There's not something good, and there's not something bad. Yeah. Um, the giant is the evil, yes, but the simple. giant was wronged. Yeah. It's not that simple. Yeah. So every character experiences that, I think. Um, and while the baker and the baker's wife in the in the first act may be the catalyst, yeah. um, in the second act, it's everyone. Yeah. Do you think each of your characters goes through kind of a, a transformation? I know in, with Little Red, it's a little more obvious, I think, because there's a sense of growing up and, yeah, Jack, I'll, I'll be your mom, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. The, but, the taking responsibility. Yeah. Even even if it was, even if it's in confusion, the yeah. taking of a responsibility. Like, I could one day do this. Yeah. I could one day take responsibility for my own actions. Mm -hmm. Idea. Yeah. Um, and I think you, I mean, you physically go through a right. huge transformation at the right. end of Act 1. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just like the giant, your character gets more and more complex, I feel, mm -hmm. as the play goes on. Sure. What yeah. Do you, what do you think, um, during the conflict with the giant, What's your interpretation of, of sort of the witches? Well, I mean, she's one of the on, really the honest characters. She'll say yeah. what's on her mind. One of the only, you know, one of the only people that does that. And um, but I, I mean, she's black and white in a, in a way. I mean, she's like, this is right, this is wrong, this is the easy answer. Let let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Um, but she does go through a transformation as well because clearly she makes a decision to. I don't want to do any spoilers, but you yeah. know, to leave the world, so to speak, at some point. Yeah. And it, as crazy as it is, she's a mother figure. If you notice, yeah. it isn't until she says, and she leaves and says, you know what? I'm sitting here saying, let's do this, this, and this. You know what? You guys do it on your own. Yeah. Figure it out. Until then, no one has made a decision about anything. Yeah. Really. I mean, maybe the only decision was that you're not going to let Jack die. Maybe that's one thing. Yeah. But in order what to do before that, they've never made a decision. Kind of like when you grow up and all of a sudden your parents aren't making the decisions for you anymore. Yeah. And you have to decide on your own. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of feel like, you know, she's the mother figure in a crazy mom kind of yeah. way. But, you know, she, well, she literally is. She like, is. Yeah. yeah. Vanity is a part of that character. But also mm -hmm. she loves Rapunzel, however twisted and, you know, mechanical 
her yeah. relationship with her is. She does love Rapunzel. Yes. So yes, there's a lot to be said for that. Yes, and a lot of times when you love your children, you can become overly protective. You don't, you know, you. I think that's the instinct as a parent to not want your children to be hurt, of course, and experience yeah. these horrible things. So you can sometimes go overboard. Overboard, yeah. To uh, and, and then which actually can kind of cripple people when uh -huh. you do that because they don't ever learn to make decisions or fend for themselves. Yeah. Do you think, is this play a satire a little bit? Do you think it's uh, really poking fun at the, the sort of romantic fairy book love, fairy tale love? No. No? Mm -hmm. Because, because um, if you've ever read any of Grimm's fairy tales, mm -hmm. you will recognize immediately that nothing in those plays happens happily. Um, it's not know, like the Disney version. It is not like the Disney versions. Yeah. And, and indeed, this was written after yeah. Disney had happened and there was all this fantastical, you know, fairy uh -huh. tale stuff. But this is based on Grimm's fairy tales. I yeah. mean, I, some of my lines that I say are straight out of the the Grimm The Grimm translation. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's, it's not about that. It's about taking... Um, it's about taking the fairy tales as they are. Children relate to fairy tales. Yeah. Children can relate to those stories because they're alluding to truths, mm -hmm. but not um, not saying it right out. Yeah. Um, so children can relate to the fairy tales. I mean, in the end, when you the song "Children Will Listen," mm -hmm. um, and that's what the that's what the fairy tales are. The fairy tales are the way that we access truth. So I think that um, because we have all these recognizable characters, we are finding a way to access the truths that um, Sondheim and Lapine uh, wanted to explore, mm -hmm. especially in the second act. Okay. Yeah, I think that, what's the thing called rule, is it Rules of Enchantment? The book that they actually based this yeah, on. Yeah, I something, think... There's a book that was written in the 70s about mm -hmm. this psychologist who had written things about fairy tales and, and how, um, how fairy tales are constructed to this is black and this is white. You don't you don't tell the children this is right, this is wrong, but they can figure it out. Their children's their own, brains yeah. can figure out certain things, but they the grays aren't able to come into existence yet. So you you get these moral codes and these things that you learn, the right and the yeah, wrong. Yeah. And then sometimes you as you get older you go, Oh, this is supposed to be right, this is supposed to be wrong. Oh, I don't know where that fits. Where are the grays? That kind of thing. Yeah. But um, I don't think it's a satire at, at all. At all. Really. No. Cool. I mean there's obviously comedy involved yeah but i don't know if it's satirical and that he's making fun of the the characters so oh, the to characters speak. at all okay cool mm -hmm. do you think that you mentioned the familiarity mm -hmm. of having these fairy tale characters on stage do you think having sort of these archetypes makes this play more accessible to more people because everybody just about that comes through that door is familiar with you know some of these characters backstory at the very least Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I, and um, the thing that's really interesting is, and I haven't read all the Grimm's fairy tales all the way through, but some of yeah. them I did. Like I read the, you know, the uh, the witch story, which was the baker and the baker's wife yeah. kind of thing in, in Rapunzel. But um, like with Cinderella, what people don't know is that she, and I and I saw an interview with Sondheim and, and Lapine talking about this. She, in the Grimm's fairy tale, she went to the ball three times. She couldn't make up her mind. Yeah. They thought that was interesting, that yeah. she had to keep going back. back and forth yeah so that's where they kind of got that and you know the whole blinding of the that ha blinding of the stepsisters that mm -hmm. happens in the book in the and book, yeah. so there's a lot of things I think people may even think that they created and it, they didn't it's, it's actually, actually they're the going tradition. back to the original well 
Grimm's wasn't original. Yeah. They took it from other things, too, and, and shaped it in the way that they wanted to purposefully. They wrote it down, and we have it because they wrote it down. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. But um, so a lot of this is absolutely the clever things that you see are from the original Grimm's stories. That's incredible. Stories. Um, Deanna, being mm -hmm. just a few years out of school, now um, what's, what's your goal as a performer? I'm wondering just what, what you want the trajectory to be in. Is there a point where you'll be like, okay, I've, I'm there? Uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I live mm -hmm. in New York. I have lived in New York for the last yeah. three years. I audition all the time. I get a job. I get shipped out of New York, and I <laughs> do that job outside, and then I come back into New York to look for more work. Cool. Uh, and that's the way it is for me right now. Um, do you have an agent? I, or is it... I have just gotten an agent, okay, yes, cool. um, this last year. Um, we'll see where that takes me now, but yeah. But right what about... Um... Misty, yeah. you're, you've been sort of playing this game a little bit longer. You've, like I said, been on Broadway, done you know big national tours. What uh, do you like going back and forth between sort of the large venues and regional theater, or do you? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I love it all, absolutely. And sometimes some of the best work that I've done is in regional theaters. Mm -hmm. I mean, people think the BL end all is Broadway. I mean, that's the standard, I the suppose. Big, yeah. I've seen great things on Broadway. I've seen not so great things on Broadway. Yeah. You know, that I've seen yeah. better in, in other theaters. So, cool. but again, I mean, who, you know, I'm not going to say everybody's dream is to be on Broadway. Some people's, some people's goals are, some people's aren't. Yeah. But being a successful theater actor, I mean, the fact that you can work continuously and n do that, yeah. that is successful. Yeah. Yeah. That I, think, is, I think the you know, real goal f would be to be able to live doing this as my job. This is my job. Just do and, what you love and mm -hmm. make a living. Instead of going back to the city and making coffee for people. And waiting town tables. And, and waiting tables. Yeah, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And those of are things that you not. have to do in order to survive. That's just yeah. the reality of it because it's a numbers game and, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, to stay in town. It's hard, it yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, Grant Goodman said a lot of amazing things when I interviewed him about sort of the sacrifice of an actor, of an artist. You do. And you yeah. kind of alluded to that a little mm -hmm. bit. Just quit if you can. Is kind of a mantra I've heard several people repeat, and you've really, it seems like you've got to love this so much that there's no alternative. Yeah. Do you both still feel that sort of energy and like, I have to do this, and if I'm not doing this, I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't, I'm, I mean, speaking for myself, uh, I've always thought that this is what I want to do, and I do want to continue doing it, and I mm -hmm. think people have ebbs and flows where they think they can do something else. I've normally yeah. said, no, I do have other passions yeah. that go, oh, maybe I could do that. But I just don't know. This has been my life. Yeah. I don't I'm, I don't, don't know how to do anything else, so to speak. <laughs> but um, so I would say yes. But I think the older I get, the more I think, oh, this might be neat, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. That's different for everybody. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I, um, as a kid, I, I thought I had all these ideas of what, about what I wanted to do, but they were mm -hmm. all because I loved imagining what it would be like to be those things. Yeah. I love to imagine, um, I, for a long time wanted to be an astronaut and I was like really excited about space and stuff. And then uh -huh. I loved the idea of being a veterinarian. And then I was like, no, I want to do something else. And, um, there were just all sorts of things or uh, things involving travel. I wanted to see places and, yeah. um, it all had to do with imagination and storytelling, mm -hmm. not the fact that I actually wanted to go into outer space, do lots of math with the potential of death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I liked the idea yeah. of that. Um, and I I think that 
uh, theater, of course, it mimics life and it gives us the option of telling stories that we that we wouldn't have been able to tell before. Yeah. It has the power um, to change lives. I don't know. I, it just really fuels me. It's something I'm very passionate about, and awesome. I'm um, and I hope it stays that way. I really I really think that theater has the power to change the world. Mm -hmm. I like to ask all the guests, just sort of selfishly. Um, I'm getting my <clears throat> master's degree in arts administration here, and we've had some incredible, incredible conversations about entry points, like when you first got bitten by the bug, you know, of the arts, and when you knew your life in some form had to center around this. Was it was there a moment for either of you where you knew, or was there maybe kind of a slow progression? Um, I've heard the whole gamut so far from people, and it's been incredible. Yeah, but I know for for myself, um, there I don't know how to explain it, but I even when I wasn't acting yeah like I don't know when it was when I was younger I, I just knew I was like I can do that I think I was watching TV <laughs> and I'm like mm, I can do that or you know or I want to do that yeah but then it wasn't till later I started actually dancing I actually started out as a dancer and, cool. and uh, doing a lot of that and traveling and um, I just knew I wanted to do that but at some point in, in high school I started taking drama mm -hmm. and I, I didn't even know I could sing till later on really but um, I decided that dancing because I would go to class a lot, that that wasn't, I didn't want to be a gypsy. I didn't want to be a dancer. Yeah, yeah. At some point I decided, oh no, you're 28 and you're done, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just was, it, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to act. So I would say as a child, through dancing was sort of my gateway. Yeah. <laughs> my gateway drug performing gotcha. that got me into acting. Cool. Well, I I mean, I was I was a kid too, probably. Uh, my my parents are like the best, most supportive parents ever. Cool. They they had me try everything. I played every sport, uh, every musical instrument. <laughs> I did I did absolutely everything. And they there was this there's a youth theater yeah. in my in my neighborhood that I went to, um, and I I would I attended this youth theater and I, I did their plays. But it wasn't it wasn't my main thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I was twelve, mm -hmm. I actually saw a production of Into the Woods. I went oh, by cool. myself. By yourself um, at and twelve I, years old. I, <laughs> I just want I just I want it bears <laughs> repeating. I was I I was I watched the first act and my parents had told me, uh, now you call us at the end of Act One because we've heard some things about the second act. So <laughs> call us at the end of Act One and uh, and we'll come pick you up. That's incredible. So I called them at the end of Act One at a payphone or something like that, and I said and I said. I'm gonna stay for Act Two, and I <laughs> I went and stayed for Act Two. Uh, uh, post astronaut, pre firefighter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then when I was 13, I did a production of Into the Woods the next year. So the next year I did a production of Into the Woods. Uh, it was a youth production of uh -huh. it, um, the the junior version that MTI puts out. Yeah. And I was the baker's wife. Very cool. And um, <laughs> I never stopped doing theater after that. So after after doing Into the Woods, that was it. That's kind of a cool arc. I mean, here we are. You know, now you're a little red <laughs> for yeah. regional theater. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Very cool. Um, I talked a lot to Jeremy Mann about <clears throat> Sondheim and just what a chalice he is. He's sort of like the the contemporary, you know, musical composer for theater. It sounds so hard to do Sondheim, and it sounds so hard to do Sondheim in repertory because you have so little time. To rehearse, you know, it's cut basically into you know in half or into a third, even in some cases for some performers. I'm wondering if you could talk about maybe some of the biggest challenges in just trying to put this all together and pull this off. Well, I think most people, at least, I mean, musically, came 
quite prepared. I mean, we had gotten the score ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And there was, of course, recordings to listen to and things like that. Um, but it is the it is challenging. I mean, there was some music, uh, for instance, one of the songs, uh, Deanna's in, the Your Fault, Your Fault. Which, yeah. which, you know, goes by so quickly. And I, it's one of those things that as a performer, you know how difficult it is. I don't think the audience does. Yeah. But it's just, they started day one. And it was like, we're doing this every day, every time we're, you know, in rehearsal. Um, but uh, it is just like, I mean, I'm sure it's just like, you know, people learning, coming and doing their huge role for Shakespeare. Same thing. They have to come prepare. Their time is cut in half. So yeah. it's all, all relative. Um, but yeah, you just have to Kind of start your stuff a little bit early, I would say. There's a lot of homework before you do. Yeah, and then sometimes you you do it, and and, uh, you know Sondheim's so tricky that you've been singing an interval a certain way, and it's like, no, it's not this. Uh, It's uh," and it's oh, (laughs) it's gonna kill me. You know how he does that to you, stuff like that. So very cool, Deanna. Your comic timing and the dryness of your delivery as as Little Red (laughs) is incredible. Did you did you study up for this? Do you have a lot of experience as a comic sort of performer? Uh, I was that's a, I mean, in stitches multiple times. <laughs> she shows a comic in life. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. If you spend any amount of time with me, you'll, you'll, you'll know that I, I just love laughing. It I comes love naturally laughing. Then. Uh, I've, I've always been a weirdo a little bit anyway. So <laughs> I, I guess it came naturally. You know, it, and it's funny. Uh, my, my, my parents came and saw the show already and they, they said, oh yeah, that was you. That was that was what you were like as a little <laughs> like oh, like wow. just matter of fact, emotional a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, a blurter like I would just blurt out what I thought, <laughs> you know. Um, but um, yeah, it was it it just uh, there were a lot of things that in my mind when I read the script that's what I hear immediately and uh-huh. I and I it always surprises me when people say. I would never have thought of that or something. I'm like, yeah. what? It's right there. It says so. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It came naturally, I, I guess. I, I guess. And Jeremy Mann's great. He cool. he took what I, what, I ha- what I brought in naturally and crafted it so that it actually is contained, whereas if it were up to me, everything would be everywhere, all over. <laughs> and so I'm thankful for Jeremy, so the, thank the, goodness. the ninja knife skills were you, but Jeremy reined it in a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, very cool. So you both love working with Jeremy. Oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah. He's cool. a great guy. Can you speak a little bit about, Misty, about the differences between working on a big stage, maybe for a big tour, and a regional theater like this? Some people have said there's an intimacy here. They really appreciate being able to interface with the audience. Is oh, what, yeah. What, what's most rewarding about this setup as, as opposed to the big stage? I always love smaller, I mean, smaller theaters and the intimate feeling. I I love, this is my first year being on um, The Adams cool. stage. But and I've been in, measure. yes, yeah. um, but the Randall I've been in before. And I, I just love mm-hmm. that theater. I really, really do. It does have an intimacy to it, mm-hmm. just a very warm feeling. Um, and you know, I mean, it's nice to play big houses, but it does feel very vast. Yeah. And like the audience is a little bit further from you a mm-hmm. lot of times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, and I've played in houses that are 99 seats or 150, which is great too. Yeah. It can also be daunting when they're right up in your face. But, yeah. but you know, it, it is. Definitely. I mean, I, I almost think any actor would say they enjoy an intimate space. Yeah. 
more than a more than a, than a large one, depending on what the show is, I think, and the tone yeah. of it as well. Cool. What about, can you speak a little bit about, USF likes to talk about the festival experience. And I know what that means uh, from an audience member's perspective, you know, the seminars and the orientations and stuff like that. But does it add anything to your experience here as a performer? There's other little things that, you know, you sometimes get to do. Absolutely. I mean, in, in um, I've worked in quite a few other regional companies, and in, mm -hmm. in most of the ones, um, especially on the East Coast, you are completely separate from your audience. You, I mean, they come, they see the plays. Yeah. Maybe they wait for you after the, after the show to say good job, but really, you don't know them. You don't meet them. Mm -hmm. And and here, that's totally different thing. I feel like. Um, I get to know the audience. I've there. I've this being my third season. Yeah. Um, I people recognize me and they'll say, "Hey, weren't you in the Green Show before?" Uh, <laughs> or you know, uh, and they'll just they'll just talk to you. They'll just stop you and talk to you like they know you. It's a it's a really interesting thing. You'll you know you'll go to one of the shops or restaurants down the way and mm -hmm. they'll stop you in the restaurant. They'll you know. It's it's just totally different. It's nothing like ever I've ever experienced before. Yeah. It seems like they definitely try to educate their audience and yeah. give them the best experience possible. Yeah. Make them feel comfortable with the shows, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. And all these, like I said, I'm, I mean, I'm very impressed with all the things that they have going on. And, and you also stay in touch when, when you do like the seminars mm -hmm. or any kind of talk back or anything like that. It, it does also keep you in touch with what are the questions that they're asking? What are yeah. they seeing? It's it's interesting to see it from their perspective or to hear cool. what they're, as an audience member, what they're thinking and, and feeling. And you're like, oh, it can kind of put, just make you think as well, which is great. Very cool. What's it, in repertory, the, the two things you're doing are so different. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about approaching, you know, doing a musical like Sondheim and then also being in, you know, a play that's hundreds of years old and what, what that's like. Well, honestly, I mean, a measure for measure, I don't do much. I really what? don't. But, you know, I mean, I change a lot. I change more than anybody, <laughs> actually, I believe, in that show. So little do you know, I am doing a lot. Yeah. Well, you're there for yeah. you know, the whole thing. So yes. you've got a lot to say, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, it's great. It's, it's, it's definitely a different feeling. Being in that space is definitely the atoms. different. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And just the way it, everything's set up and, and, you know, the minute you turn your head this way, these people can't hear you and, you know, just all of that. It that can kind be of difficult. Stuff. It can yeah. be, yeah, it's yeah. just different. Absolutely yeah. different. Um, but I'm having a great time. Cool. It's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Laura Gordon's great. She did a great job on, on it. And the, I mean, the actors that are carrying the show are just wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. What about Sense and Sensibility, Deanna? Is it can you compare and contrast? I mean, these sure, two um, totally different sort of hemispheres you're, you're having I mean, to approach. On Sense and Sensibility, we had the um, pleasure of working with one of the co-adapters yeah. as mm -hmm. the director, Joe Hanready. Joe Hanready, yeah. Um, and, and that was really great. He was really open during the process to working through the play so that it worked for us. Uh, I know uh, as one of the servants, we, um, we've really created a very strong ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, we call it the Servant Ballet. And um, <laughs> we, because we, we change the set. We make, we make 
the changes in the set uh, to tell you in which room we're in, what place. The 32 chairs that we carry around, uh, some are lighter than others. Yeah. Um, and um, it's been a really interesting process, but it's been really cool, especially now, to, to feel um, how strong the ensemble is yeah. for that. I mean, same can be said for Into the Woods. It's just a little bit... It's a little bit more silent yeah. in sense and sensibility, and um, it's been a it's been a pleasure because uh, we all know that um, the other people who end up sitting in those chairs appreciate what we do. Yeah. We're we're all a team. If if we weren't there, they wouldn't have anywhere to stand. You know. <laughs> so so we have Colonel Batman. Colonel and, Batman and the servant Indeed. ballet. <laughs> Colonel Batman. Oh, that's terrific. What Saving you, lives. What do you think? People are nuts, and I'd love it if both of you would chime in on this, even though. Uh, Misty, you're not in Sense and Sensibility. Jane Austen. People seem to just be more and more nuts about Jane Austen. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Everybody seems to have a different answer. What do you think keeps her sort of literary and cultural relevance growing uh, continually? Why do people love Austen so much? Well, I actually have a theory. <laughs> That uh, and it's not and it's not just about Austin. I think it's really about this time that we are in. Yeah, we're in a time where everybody's looking back. Everyone's like, remember when Throwback Thursday? Remember this is the things from the '90s that you can't have anymore. Yeah, let's play records. <laughs> let's have mustaches that are curly. Yeah, like the, everybody is throwing back um, into a different time period now. Everyone loves. Uh, the past, everyone's fascinated with history, whether mm. or not we like it in school. We like the things that used to be there. We like the ideas that people used to have. We like laughing at their preposterous theories and things. Uh -huh. um, and the same goes for literature and movies, I think. Um, with the with the rising popularity of things like Downton Abbey, yeah. um, TV shows and movies that are making it prevalent, mm -hmm. uh, I think um, I think she's easily accessible. She has these clear stories, mm -hmm. these beautiful romances that um, that everyone can relate to, whether or not. Uh, you know, they're like, this is my life. Some people are like, really, really relate to the story as, mm -hmm. as though um, that it's something that happened to them. Um, but I think, I think it definitely has something to do with the way that, um, that, our, that our world is thinking now, yeah. thinking backward instead of thinking um, forward as much. That's terrible to say, huh? No, no, that makes perfect sense. No, but but it, but you you know the yeah. the trends that are going on, the hipstering everywhere, all over the place. <laughs> just, I think it's because yeah, and I, I think it's because women out. love an empire waist. It looks good on you. Oh, <laughs> they're obsessed yes. with the look it's of that steam. time it's period. It's so beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. It it does make sense though your theory. I think I'm kind of buying it because yeah. our daily lives, like so, so our habits and have changed so much because of technology, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years that they're, but nobody's asking why, nobody asked, is asking what effect it's maybe had on us. And maybe looking backwards is a chance to afford more opportunities to ask, ask those sorts of questions. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, my iPhone and, you know, my having my email and everything on me all the time just makes me work harder and more. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It's supposed I, to make it easier, but in reality, it really makes it more difficult. Yeah, it seems like we're just asked yeah. to do more because we can, right? I know in rehearsals or uh, at shows, I used to see people knit, but no longer. <laughs> it's people always, 
on their phones now. Because, you know, you have well, to occupy your time. We've got a couple knitters. We've yeah. got a couple knitters. I mean, they're still yeah, knitting. Okay. And they're still reading. But in general, you know, you bring, what are you going to do on your downtime? I don't know. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to do a crossword puzzle. People yeah. still do that. They may do it on their iPhones. But I look over now, and sometimes I stop, and I look, and I say, my, hasn't it changed since I started? Yeah. That's true. You know, and what people are doing and occupying their time with. Just like things. Yeah. I've gotten strange looks by waiting in the doctor's office with a book. I've had the same don't thing. A, don't right? you have a phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrific. Thank you both so much. It's thank really you. been a pleasure yeah, talking you. to both of you. Thanks, you too. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, tune in to hear our conversation with actor Aaron Galligan-Sterl and music director Sam Klein. Thank you.